Oh yeah, here we go, practice acquisition. There are pitfalls throughout the entire process. All right, all right, guys. Another episode of Dental Acquisition Uncensored. We are in the middle of Shark Week, and today I am interviewing uh, another top broker in their class, uh, Tommy Newton with Excite Practice Sales. We went over some really good stuff that I feel like you didn't hear in the rest of the Shark Week episodes. We really stayed in the, the lease world because the lease is such an important piece to the acquisition. We talked about the lease assignment issues. We talked about the landlord psychology and, and mental state as, as you approach them on an acquisition. You know, um, we talked about if the seller owns the property, how that changes the dynamic of the deal and the pros and cons there, how that affects cash flow when they own the property. Um, earlier on the episode, we talked about the the need for you to have a team and be able to approach the brokers with a plan, a specific plan that's not too generic, but not too specific so that you don't minimize your opportunity. We talk a lot about that. Um, and then one of my favorite pieces is, is there there is a real thing when it comes to bad team members on your team as a buyer. You could have the wrong CPA, the wrong consultant, the wrong banker, the wrong attorney that actually is counterproductive to you winning and, 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 and not paying too much. Um, you need a team. That's number one. You're going to hear that. But there's, su- there's a such thing as a bad team member. And we talked a little bit about that. So guys, buckle up. Another episode of Shark Week. Let's get it going. Acquisition Uncensored. The truth when buying and selling a dental practice. And now your host, Michael Dincio. All right, all right, guys. Let's start this episode, this next episode of Shark Week, uh, Practice Broker Shark Week. Uh, We have taken our audience through a journey and we are making our way across the country. And um, I hope... You listeners have had a lot of fun, but today uh, I am introducing a friend of the family here that uh, highly experienced and has a fantastic firm. They own the Texas area and and other areas around them. Um, I'll I'll leave it to Tommy to kind of give the the rundown here, but Tommy Newton, owner of Excite Practice Sales, um, they have six offices, five practice brokers are doing a lot of stuff. I respect what they do and I like working with them. And so here we are shark week episode. I don't even know which one we're on, but we're making our way through the, through the journey. So Tommy, thanks for joining, man. I appreciate you. being here. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thanks a ton. Looking forward to it. The best part about shark week is the, is the, uh, the accents as I make my way across and South. (laughs) Uh, So here we are in Texas. Tommy's got the Texas, the Texas sound. I love it. It's awesome. I'm just, I'm, I'm just a hillbilly from Ohio. And so I'm boring, but uh, Tommy's got that, that Texas slang. So Tom, tell me about Excite Practice Sales. What gets you guys up in the morning? You know, what are you guys all about? Just give the audience who you are. Yeah, sure, sure. So, uh, you know, myself and three friends started this company back in on February 1st of 2013. 
We worked for 10 years together before that doing this. Uh, you know, our firm does two things. It's represent dentists in real estate transactions, whether it's a startup or going on into um, multiple locations, buying buildings, buying land, et cetera. And then, of course, the, the other division that I'm in charge of is our practice sales acquisitions division, where we represent dentists that are, you know, selling their practice. And sometimes that's a, a, a dentist that's selling to another dentist for the typical transition. Sometimes it's one that's going to partner with a DSO. It, it, it all made sense to do it together because, you know, on the real estate side, a, a dentist might want to do a startup and they might not. They might want to buy a practice. So we always wanted to be able to provide them a solution, whether it was the startup route or the transition route. And for us to be able to have kind of a um, a, um, a group of listings that we could put in front of them and help them out. Um, we want to be a part of the dental community. You know, we we want we want these great practices to continue to be great practices and for the dental industry to grow. However, it is it's you know, it's something that is needed out there, obviously. Well, it's super comprehensive because um, like I had you guys on Shark Week last year on Startup Uncensored, our other podcast that focuses on startups. Brandon did a great job um, interview. It was a great interview. And, and um, but, but here we are in the acquisition side. And you're right. There is so much crossover. You know, you, you start with, a, with someone that's going to do a startup and they find a practice and then you, you transition over there. And then or the opposite. Uh, hey, I want to buy, which is the most common, right? where mm-hmm. a, a, a buyer starts down this uh, ownership journey and flips over to startups. So you, you're speaking my language. You've got two podcasts specifically for that reason, startup acquisition. And so you yeah. guys are on both sides. Um, and so that's that's super cool. Let's get right into it, Tommy. Like I, you, This is totally unscripted, folks. We have zero agenda other than providing you great information. I want to remind you all to hit the show notes below Tommy and Excite Practice Sales will have all the links and stuff that you can get a hold of Tommy and and uh, they can walk you through the practices they have and maybe even help you get a startup going. But big picture, Tommy, I, I ask every all the practice brokers the same question. And it is, what could a buyer do to get into first position on one of your practices that's that's different than what everybody else is doing? Like what 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 makes them unique? I, I coach people on this all the time, but there's a lot of people that aren't going to hire me. So for those people, what can they do to get into first position? Because it's one of the hottest markets there there's been in, in the last decade, if you know oh, what I mean. It's, it's something else. So, you know, say we have that typical practice that everybody's looking for. It's a, a million dollar practice, fee for service, PPO, right? And in, in, a, in a usually a large metropolitan area, um, yeah, we if we put that out on the open market, we're going to get 30 to 40 non-disclosure agreements signed within the first 48 hours. And so what happens is that agreement goes out, it's signed, and then we send out a buyer information form. We want to understand, you know, who this doctor is and are they prepared and what's their history and have they, you know, uh, talked to a lender before because obviously you got to have the funds. You need the team around you. And when, and, and that goes for probably any of my competitors out there, the, the same amount of buyers are coming in because it's such a seller's market. Um, the ones, so, so with us, when that happens and we have 40, 50, 60 practices on the market, you can imagine a broker weeding through all that. There's really just not enough time in the day to have a conversation with each one of them. You would it's love like, to. 
It's like interviewing for hygienists right now. If you, or not, it's the opposite of that. Opposite, I mean, the opposite, I mean, right? I, I mean, if you have all of these applications, anybody that's hired for uh, a job and you get a ton of applications, it's like, how do you sort through them, right? That's it. It's a job interview, right? It's a very competitive job interview. How do you make yourself stand out when everybody's filling out the same information? Um, the one, And we have a list. So if you go to one of our brokers, it's next door, Duff. Uh, one of our vice presidents here in the, the Dallas office. If you go in his office on his board, he's got about 15 dentists. These are ones that have at the very get go, they've said, I talked to this lender. I've got all my information with them. I am pre-approved. This is my work history. I, I know this attorney. Um, I know this consultant. I use this CPA, right? They've got their team around they know what they're looking for. They know where they want to go. They don't say things like, oh, yeah, Dallas or maybe Houston. Like that doesn't No, I'm really looking in, you know, in Fort Worth, uh, North Fort Worth. Or they'll say, you know, they, they've, they are able to tell us I'm a buyer. I'm, I've got my team together. I'm ready to go. And I know what I want and I know where. And I'm a buyer now. And, and so what that is to us is surety of close. And it's, it's a story that we're able to take to our seller because mm -hmm. most of our sellers are saying, look, the economics are very important. Yes. But I want to transfer my patients to someone I'm comfortable with. I want to get along with them. There's going to be a lot going on even after the sale. Not, we got to go through the negotiations, economics, how everything's going to work, the timeline, of course. But after the sale, as you know, Michael, the, the, the 30 days right after closing, there's a lot that goes on there. You're transferring a business that someone ran for 20 or 30 years to someone who may have never run a business at all. May have everything that majority, done. majority oh haven't, haven't ran a business before. It's an right? undertaking. And, you know, and that's where you guys are so important in the, you know, you know helping out with that piece is, is so important. And so, you know, I mean, there, there's a few, don't get me wrong. We'll have some clients here and there, some deals go where it's purely economic and, and, and it just, you know, for whatever reason, but um, I'd say 90% of them, they want to sell to somebody that they know and feel comfortable with and think their patients and their staff are going to be in good hands. And that they, you know, from a clinical, clinical standpoint, they think the same way. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And, so, and, so, so what I'm hearing you say, Tommy, is having a specific plan for, what you want a vision so to speak mm -hmm. we talk about vision all the time on the program but like having a vision for what you were looking for a specific vision now i love that because you're right most of the calls that i take it's just kind of like oh, i don't know help yeah. me out i want a help. good one million bucks i want to yeah yeah you know, you're like okay <laughs> but here's my but here's what let's take this let's take this a little a little deeper if they're too specific is that a problem well uh Right. That can knock down, knock down the pool that you have to choose from. Yeah. Um, so maybe is it is it a balance between the two? Maybe like, hey, I'm good with all of DFW anywhere within an hour drive. Tell me what you that, got type of. That's thing. OK. You still need the team. You know, you number sure. one, you got to show that you got to show that you have the ability to buy this. Uh so the lending really is probably the number one piece to be able to say, I spoke with so-and-so at this bank 
and everybody probably knows there's a handful of banks that really focus on this mm-hmm. um, because what's going to happen as part of our responsibilities is we're going to need to talk to that lender. Mm-hmm. We're going to need to not only hear it from the, the, the prospective buyer, but usually we're going to talk to the lender. They're not going to give us any, any private information at all, but they are going to say, yes, the way you've priced this practice, um, the procedures, that this this dentist does today and we feel comfortable underwriting and giving this doctor so and so amount of money you know they won't tell us the amount but enough to to qualify to purchase this practice cuz we have to give that information over to our seller that's kind of what they're hiring us for i mean I, a lot of buyers get a little bent about communication from the other side to mm-hmm. their people and I want the audience to know that that is actually a normal process. I I think the idea of a buyer's rep, which is what I am, is a new concept that is kind of an intermediary. What am I trying to say? Yeah, Uh between all of that. Because talking to a banker about your financials and all of that can can feel a little private. But at the same time, folks, you have to understand that the other side needs some confidence that you can get to the finish line. Otherwise, why are they going to take the practice off, off the market? Right. That's right. That's right. Because when you're, when you're going through the the letter of intent to, which is pretty much the business terms of the deal, once that's done in good faith, both parties are trying to move forward and get that done. We are not out there continuing to market the practice. We are not taking on additional non-disclosure agreements and, and trying to, to do this unless something happens in the deal, some sort of material stall or mm-hmm. issue or red flag. And, and, mm-hmm. to, and to further expand, you know, these lenders, they're, they're not going to give us any personal information. They're not going to tell us if the practice is priced well below what the buyer could afford. The lender's just going to say we could underwrite for this. They're never going to tell us, yeah, they could pay a lot more. That, that that's yeah. not how it it works at all. It's more of it's simply just pre-approval. It doesn't have any numbers attached to it when we're when we're talking to them. That's um, that's really good. So so team team is 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 kind of what we're taking it back to, mm-hmm. and um, I think that's great. I, I think that's been a very overwhelming theme for Shark Week. Is like is have a plan and have a team. And that's you, you're right on par without even talking to the other sharks. You're right on par with everybody else. You know, I haven't gone here. Let's go here. Um, because I want each episode to be a little bit unique. What is there such thing as a bad teammate? (laughs) Should I go? Let's go. Let's go there. Let's go there. I'm glad you, I'm glad you went there. Um, so, so let me, let me, let me set the table. Let me set the t- table, Tommy, because I had a buyer just last week say, Hey, a practice broker said I was not getting this deal because of the buyer rep that they choose chose. Would you represent me? And I'm like, you know, there, there's, there's a lot there. Right. And, and we call it shark week because there are some sharks out there. The ones we've interviewed are not sharks. You guys are all quality. You're dialed the evaluations aren't crazy. You're professional. There's a lot of practice brokers that are absolutely sharks. Hence the pun of of the program. But the point is, is when I get a call like that, I've got a flag up saying, well, is, is this broker trying to pull something over? Like now all of a sudden I don't trust it. But when I dug into it, I actually called the broker and said, what's the story? And the broker said that they worked 
on a deal with this particular professional and it got out of hand quickly. And so therefore they're not going to take their seller through that process with that particular professional. So full circle, Mm -hmm. how to let's have a conversation about bad teammates. Not Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. I've had attorneys. It look, what we're talking about here is specializing in something. All of us are right. Dentists. They're special. They have a specialty too, right? So why would you go through a dental M&A transaction with a, you know, an estate attorney that does wills, right? And so what happens is you'll always, every now and then actually, not always, you'll have someone say, yeah, my my brother-in-law, my so-and-so or whatever, they're an attorney and that's, and, and they just don't do this. That will kill a deal. Uh, if they don't, if they don't know what we're talking about, what we're working through, what are real issues, what are not, um, you, many people probably heard this, but time kills deals and, uh, an attorney that just does not, they're not a bad attorney. They just don't specialize in this Mm -hmm. and, and other attorneys sometimes will not work with them. There are attorneys out there that just do this and they're, if they you know, if there's an attorney on the other side of the table they've never heard of, doesn't have any MA experience, they're just like, look, guys, it's it's just not worth my time. It's gonna be a crazy overload. I don't think but the it might be close. it might be worth their time, but the bill's gonna be astronomical for no reason. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it doesn't have to be. So that- I, I love that point. It, that could also be trans transferred over to non-dental bankers, non-attorneys, non-CPAs, heck, uh, consultants that aren't familiar with M&A. I've had that. Consultants Mm -hmm. that were great practice practice consultants. Think of a hygienist or a front office consultant that was great at helping the hygiene team grow that division or that department. Do you think they know a ton about M&A? Probably not. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, that, that's the number one. Um, I mean, you're looking for people that do this all the time and specialize. They're going to help you through, um, a lot of hurdles, save you some time, save you some money. Uh, but that's the one that we probably come across that can, can really, and and, you know, they don't come in until the end. So then you're really talking about a lot of work has been done by everybody. And then they, they, they can gum up a deal. Yeah. uh, So Good stuff. Let, Something let's, else to think about too let's go. is uh, the assignment of the lease. Have you had anybody talk about that? That's at Ooh. the end of a deal too. You know, let's, a landlord. Let's talk about. It. I, I actually just had an email uh, just right now, and uh, it, it it's it's heating up. <laughs> it's heating yeah. up. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So so just just from the the buyer's perspective, so they understand the reason why a landlord may be like this. Uh. Well, set the tone, dentist, Tommy. Set the tone. Yeah. A, a lease, the assignment. Where we are and how we get there. So you get a deal, you know, you got a deal all the way going to the goal line. And the the seller has has leased this space for 10, 15, 20 years, right? Well, uh, in order for the buyer to take over that lease, an assignment is done. And it's just simply that. It is a document that says the buyer will take over all the responsibilities economic and legally of the lease, pay it, go forward. The landlord has to approve that. So 
you can't just have anybody come through. And so when you're, when you're talking to a landlord, you got to think about this. A, a tenant is an investment in a landlord's building. Uh, it, it, that tenant pays them money. They pay them, they pay the, the mortgage for that landlord. So a landlord has a known commodity. They know them. They've been paying them month in and month out for 20 years. 20 years it's a yeah. good relationship. All of a sudden you're saying, I'm going to take somebody who's I've, no, I've known for 20 years that has been doing a great job in paying me and knows what they're doing, taking them out. And they're also, they're very financially well off because they've been working for a while. And I'm going to bring someone in half the age who, I don't know. <laughs> a, th them. a third of the age. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Them. I don't know if they're good at it. I don't know what their financials are. I've got a really good one here I know. But now I'm just going to let these guys come in. Uh -uh. So what they're going to do is they're going to want to look at the, the buyer's financials as well. Um, they're going to want to know who they are. They're going to probably want to talk to the bank. And then on top of that, they're not in a hurry because they've got the, the rent coming no matter what. You can't push them or make them do that. If the lease has, you know, five years left on it or longer, um, they're, they're just not in a leveraged situation. So you have to play nice. You were very much asking them to do this. And you're saying, look, I'm going to be a good tenant. I'm going to be there longer. Eventually, this guy's going to retire. This girl's going to retire. So you're not going to have them forever. And you got to kind of state that. So that needs to be done, you know, earlier in the transaction than most people do it because mm -hmm. the landlord just doesn't have to move quickly. And, and if you wait till the last week, you could be in trouble. I'm glad you brought up lease lease stuff because you know excite does both sides so you guys are trained trained professionals in this both departments but it's not that acquisitions don't have any leases they they do um let's let's touch on this you you, you talked about the assignment clause and that's specifically uh, an issue or could be an issue and you talked about those dynamics but let's take it a, one step further because i think this is really good um Oftentimes, buyers, you are going to take an over-the-market deal or, or above-market deal on a lease with an acquisition. You are, you know, here we are negotiating for the practice and you know working with the seller and getting all of the work in progress figured out and the accounts receivables and there's all these little negotiating points for this transaction. Yeah, and. It's, it's quite the process. Uh, Tommy works his side. I work my side and it's quite the process. And then you get to the lease and it's, and you, to your point, Tommy, like that usually gets kind of pushed to the, to the end, yeah. but you, you really have zero leverage. leverage, zero leverage with the, with the, uh, landlord A startup, totally different. Uh, yeah. It's empty space. Empty space. You can you can pit them against five other spots. You could, you know, do your thing and try to and try to sell yourself and let let the best offer win type of a scenario. An acquisition. What are you going to do? You're going to buy the practice and then relocate it? No, you have to. So, Tommy, talk about that dynamic a little bit. I'm I'm stealing the show, but you're the expert here. Go go, go on. Got to give yourself time when you don't have leverage. You have to give yourself time to work at the landlord's pace um, because you've got to be nice and you might be working with a property management company. You may never even talk to the landlord. There could be a $2,500 fee for an assignment in the existing master lease, right? Uh, so 
go ahead and agreeing to that and, and getting that payment over to them early, showing them that, you know, you're responsible, you're, you're quick to act, you're, you're responsive. I mean, you're very much playing nice. They have all of the leverage. They know that you are deep in the negotiations. You probably have attorney's fees. You've been working on this for a while. You want to buy this company. The other, the other person wants to sell the company. So they're usually not going to unreasonably withhold, which is the language in a lease, um, an assignment, but uh, they're going to do their due diligence and it's not going to go quickly. Um, it'll hold up the whole deal and you can't go demanding anything and you don't have another place to kind of, like you talked about, pit them against or leverage them against. So it needs to be thought of sooner than most people think of it. Yeah, I, it's a doozy. It's it's a doozy in the acquisition world, but there's no solve for it. Let's talk the about only, the only thing with us that's been nice is because we do a couple hundred startups a year. Many times when we're selling a practice, we might know that landlord or developer because we've put somebody else in their building. So what we do is use the leverage of our company yeah. to say, hey, you've seen us bring you other new tenants for new buildings before we'll continue to do that. You know, we need this relationship or what other buildings do you have? Because I have a whole real estate division over here that's doing 200 deals a year. Let me introduce you to my brokerage team. Everybody would love to have a dentist in there because as you know, the default rate for a startup, three, four, five, 6%, depending on where you are. So that's about what you have to, yeah, right. You, what you have to, to use for leverage. It's about the only thing out there on the market. Yeah, that that, that's is, that that is a game. That is a bit of a game changer. We're go, we're going we're staying in that lease space just because it's it is. We've talked about so much of the PSA, the acquisition, the deal terms with a lot of the other brokers. Let's stay in this lease a little bit longer, just because it's great for conversation. I I had a deal once where a real estate broker, not well, you guys are all real estate brokers, but not the. Uh, practice broker. Another right. real estate broker came into the deal and they were dental specific. They know they they knew what they were doing. But they were trying to create some leverage on the acquisition to to score a better deal for the buyer. So they started talking about, "Hey, I've got this other space and it's right down the road and it's already pre-built." And you know, I, I I was fairly young in the buyer rep world. And so, and I trusted this broker because they were in dental. Come to find out, I will never do that again, no matter how much the story kind of makes sense. Because essentially the buyer could have taken that practice over to a pre-built dental office and just plugged and played. And it was technically right up the road. And so you could see kind of the strategy there. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, as much as that story made sense to try to create leverage with the, mm -hmm. with the, with the landlord mm -hmm. that, that had the lease of the acquisition, it went south on us so quick and the buyer ended up paying more in their lease in the end. It was, it, it didn't work out. So let me tell you, if someone, right, Tommy, if someone That's takes right. you down They're that a path. captive audience and the landlord went from, oh, I was willing to just do a simple assignment and work through it typically for you. But now if you want to play it like this, well, you know, we'll do it my way. I know what my leverage is. They know. 
They know. know. They it's, know. You're you're playing nice on this this piece. Now, yeah. when when you get into well, we'll, we can do this if you want to, but if you want to get into uh, if the 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 dentist, the selling dentist owns their building. Yeah, let's get, actually well. let's get. Well, I haven't touched that, so let's get into it. Yeah, we got We got a yeah. few more minutes. Let's go. There. If, if the seller does buy, or does have the real estate, it does change the dynamic of the entire deal. How is that? Yeah, Why? Definitely. Why? You know, it, it does from a lot of different perspectives. One. If you're, you know, one that's probably going to be a pretty attractive, um, you know, transition for, for everybody, right? Because, you know, what dentists wouldn't like to own their office as well, the real estate as well, right? Uh, great from a lot of different purposes. You know, your, your PLLC can pay your LLC and it's just, it's, 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 and then when you sell later on, it can be just a, um, uh, a mailbox money income opportunity for you. It could be an investment sale or sell lease back opportunity. There's a lot of different things that you can do there, which options are great, right? Who knows what the market will do when it's your turn. Um, and, you know, eventually you'll have it free and clear. Also, it allows you when you're buying the practice, if you do need to move money from the real estate piece, from a lending standpoint, uh, from the practice piece, right? It allows you to move it back and forth because the bank has that real estate as collateral, not just kind of your personal guarantee and the, the assets or the goodwill of the company there, which goodwill is tough as a collateral piece, as you know more. So that gives you more uh, ability there too, if you are buying the practice to be competitive by maybe moving those around a little bit, if you do or find yourself in a competitive situation with some other buyers, which you typically might. Um, so so that's that's really nice there. But at the same time, when you're working through those transactions, you know, the bank's going to have an appraisal. That's going to take time. They're, they're probably going to charge you for that as well. You know, a few thousand dollars. Um, that appraisal is going to need to meet uh, the price that you're willing to pay or else you're going to come out of pocket. If anybody's bought a house before in this market, which has just changed. But, you know, when you're buying these houses for fifty thousand dollars over ask, they're usually not appraising for that. So you're having to bring cash to the table. Same instance here if it doesn't appraise. Uh, but, and, and I will know, um, most banks aren't doing a hundred percent financing across the country. The audience is a, is a national audience mm -hmm. here in Texas. You know, uh, I know it's a rule of thumb. Dare I ask where the average sale price does come in of, of revenue in Texas. Again, rule of thumb and you never use rule of thumb folks, but what is it in that market on average? 85, 92. Yeah. It still holds true there. And if you have something that's just a, such a competitive situation with several, you can definitely see the hundred or, you know, go, so, go above that. So I only ask because the banks that if, if the practice is, is selling closer to like an 85%, you might have, you might have some money to lend to throw at the real estate, but most mm -hmm. of most of you guys buying practices are going to get a hundred percent financing on the practice, including accounts receivables. And Morgan Stump over provide broke a lot of that down for us earlier in the season. But when it comes to real estate purchasing, you are going to have to come out of money out of pocket for money. Yeah, usually twenty percent down is something you can count on. Sometimes it's ten. Sometimes you can look at an SBA small business loan where they'll do less as long as you occupy more than 51% of the building. Because, you know, sometimes you might be buying a dental office that's in a building that also has a tenant because mm -hmm. the selling doctor owned that as an investment as well. But you wouldn't be able to qualify for one of those loans if you only occupied 40% of the, of the building as an example. And so those can be really nice loans, but they take longer. You oh. know, we're talking, you, you know, about, about that. So you got to have that in your timeline when you're going through closing. 
Okay, so so we talked about lending and 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 kind of like the pros of of getting a building on a purchase sale where where you could have two assets to sell at the end of your career, and that's a great thing. I've seen a lot of nonsense in the practice brokering world where where the uh, the net adjusted income is yeah, you know where I'm going with this. Uh-huh. Folks, we talked a lot about trying to calculate cash flow properly so that you know how much money you can kind of predict come close day in your first year in business. That's never going to be perfect. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to look at historicals, figure out what money that business threw off and try to predict for the future. That's ultimately what you're doing. But when the brokers or the sellers, let's say even non-brokered sales, when, when an owner owns the building, you have to pay attention to what rent they are charging themselves as the dentist that is renting their own space. I hope that makes sense. And Tommy, let's walk, let's walk through that because yeah, yeah. a lot of people miss that part. That's right. Well, you know... And we'll depending end here. On, we'll we'll depending, end on this. This is perfect. Okay. Uh, depending on, you know, what their CPA says, you know, for tax purposes, it might be beneficial for them to charge them personally owning the building as the landlord to charge their company, the PLLC, the practice above market rent to mm-hmm. reduce revenue, therefore reduce tax liability. Right. So you're right. And not, I don't know what everybody does out there, but we always internally adjust all that before it goes to market because it needs to be in line with market rents. All that has to line out. Um, and, and usually it's a good thing because what's happening is if they were charging themselves more, we're adding to EBITDA by making the rent market rent. Bingo. There are some instances where they do charge less and you need to pay attention to that as well mm-hmm. because you know, what you're talking about is, you know, what your net is at the end of the day. Now you're going to, when you're buying the building and, and the practice and you're playing landlord and tenant and all that, of course, your nets all come down to a bottom line there. And you're going to need to understand that, but it is a lot more to pay attention to. And there are expenses on buildings, taxes, insurance, common area maintenance, which is, which is, you know, just landscaping, repainting the parking lot, Keeping the building, you know, standing up, the basics, right? There are additional costs there that you have to take into account. And sometimes in the P, P&Ls of the practice, they may not have carried those over and charged the tenant like you usually would in a triple net lease. <laughs> Maybe they were just holding them themselves. Well, that's mm-hmm. going to be costs that you're going to have either way, which, as you know, is going to affect just in general the operating costs of owning the building, owning the practice, all that still needs to line up for you to have enough net to pay all your debt and make some money. This is, a, this is such a great conversation. We may have lost you folks, but yeah, the big, no, no, Tommy, this is perfect because folks rewind it and re-listen to that maybe a couple of times, because if you are buying a practice and you don't buy the building that the seller of the practice owns, there's really a lot of due diligence there. And Unlike Excite practice sales, they might not have the real estate knowledge uh, or, or um, dare I say, ethical um, you know, integrity 
there's a lot of practice brokers out there or sellers that don't have any representation, which could be even worse when they're trying to represent what your cash flow is going to be. You have to understand what your rent's going to be because it's not really the rent that they're probably doing to themselves. So hopefully that makes sense. Tommy did a great job of explaining that probably better than me for sure, but really, really key. We could have a podcast or just on that topic. <laughs> uh, shoot. Oh, it well, goes way on down the road of you planning for yourself and, and your exit down and what you can do with that property. And if you could pull money out of it for additional expansion, if you bought a practice that had other operatories that could be, you know, plumbed out or chaired out and not. So there's so many different things you can do there. If mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to buy a practice with the real estate, great. If the owner is going to keep the real estate, like you said, Hopefully they do everything the right way, but remember they were paying themselves. So they probably weren't, they didn't care about all the details. Didn't yeah. have to. Yeah. Now they've yeah. got a tenant, which is you. It, it needs to be right. It the, needs to be accurate. I think the global, the global uh, takeaway here is, is if you could, if you could buy the real estate, do it. Do and it. that's, and that's my general rule of thumb suggestion. Now, if the building was three, $4 million, maybe a little dental practice couldn't afford that. Depends. Um, de- depending on the market, we're talking to Tommy here in Texas. The, the market's not like that in Seattle or, or Pasadena, California. It's totally different. You know, Real estate values are insane in a lot of different markets it's across the country. And real estate's not a possibility. But if you are in Texas, it probably is a possibility, right, Tommy? That, yeah, that happens yeah. a lot? It- yeah. It definitely is. And probably the last thing I'd leave you with is sometimes we'll have a buyer come in and they want to buy the building and it just doesn't make sense from an underwriting standpoint yet. So we'll usually structure something where, hey, buy the practice and you'll have a right of first refusal or a must take in a year or two. You're going to get the building. That's that's wonderful. Just remember this. What makes the money to buy the building? It's the practice concentrate on that first you can get the rights that nobody can take it or buy it out from underneath you but sometimes people will put the real estate in front of what makes the money to pay for the real estate and so just keep those things in mind and it's okay if you have to rent it for a year or two or something like that in order to pay down the debt a little bit improve the production the practice or just really just show the bank that you know what you're doing and you can operate and, and go on from there. So not the cart before the horse thing. Well wow. said, that's a perfect like ending point that well said, Tommy, like that's, that's probably the, that's one of the best gold nuggets. Hopefully our listeners lasted 30 minutes to, to yeah. hear, to, to hear us just ramble about this stuff. <laughs> uh, but, but that, that's a great one. Ta- Tommy, any last uh, comments about excite or how they can get a hold of you guys? Um, yeah, our website, X-I-T-E-C-O, Excite Companies, XITECO.com. Just go there. We work nationally. Got our six offices in uh, Georgia, Florida, and, and Texas, and whether it's real estate or practice sales. Or if you just want to run something biased, if you need to know somebody else in the industry that's done a really good job for other clients, we're just all about the support. You know, we talk to people today and may not work for them at all, may work for them in five years. Uh, we're happy to be a part of the industry. We want to be an educational resource. So look us up. There's a lot on the website too. Whatever we can do to help, we're happy to. 
There it is, folks. Uh, uh, Tommy Newton with Excite Practice Sales. That's a common theme with the folks that I interview. I think one of the biggest things that you all don't take advantage of is calling these people. These people know what they're doing. They have experience. Even if they can't help you in their market, they have experience to help you. Tommy talked about the team today and how important that is. Tommy can be on your team in an indirect way or someone from his team can help. They just want to help. That's what this program is all about, is helping. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're blessed to be in the, in the industry and it's, it's, it, you know, we're giving back ultimately. The industry has been great to us, right, Tommy? And, and we're just, we're just simply giving back. So Tommy, thanks for being on the show and being a part of shark week. And, um, we will sign off here, my friend. Thanks for being. Yeah, I'm honored. Thanks, Michael. Tune in next time for another truth-filled episode of Acquisition Uncensored. We want to hear from you. Interact with your host, Michael Dinsio. Follow us on Facebook and YouTube. Comment and subscribe.